0: Welcome to the Rising is One Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blau, to take you through tonight's episode. Thank you so much to Freesound.org and MonkeyMan535 for providing our intro music for today. Before we start today's episode, we have a quick message from our BGN sponsor, the Beautiful Game Network.
1: Hey everyone, it's Mike from BGN. Before the show starts, I wanted to quickly tell you about a very special new sponsor that we have at the network, Golden Goal Press. Now I've intentionally been very selective about who we partner with as a network because I never want to advertise for someone that we don't think would benefit you personally. That's why Roughneck Scarves is and continues to be a great sponsor as they've been able to outfit tons of supporters groups and organizations with amazing scarves. Golden Gold Press is unique because after researching tons of companies, we decided the best way to serve your needs directly is to create a new company that can work directly with you. Golden Gold Press helps you create custom shirts, hats, mugs, flags. Literally, the list of items can go on and on, and we do it with a unique personal touch that provides you with the best products at a fraction of the cost of other print shops online. So, the next time you're looking for one custom item or hundreds, please go check out goldengoalpress.com. As always, we appreciate your support, and now on with the show.
2: Welcome to the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns, and I have both my partners in crime today. How are you guys doing?
0: Fantastic. Good to be back. Tax season is over. Time to talk about the things that are really important in life, and that is soccer.
3: Yeah, I'm doing great. You know, happy Easter Sunday to everybody and just, you know, excited to be here back with you guys, and we got something to celebrate this week.
2: Definitely. Definitely. Um, So we'll get right into those two matches. Before we do, we want to shout out our sponsor, the Arizona Soccer Complex, located by the 17 and 101 Freeways. They have leagues, indoor soccer leagues and leagues for other sports for people of all ages. So whether you're 5 or 55, go over to the Arizona Soccer Sports Complex, let them know the Rising is One podcast sent you, and get a discount on annual membership. Um, So let's get into the first match, or the more recent match, I should say. Phoenix Rising 4, Tacoma Defiance 0. Do you guys want to talk about the starting 11?
0: Yeah, so starting 11 uh, starts with Lugan coming in the at goalkeeper, Amadou Dia, A.J. Cochran, Joey Farrell, uh, Mustafa Dumbaya. Then as your defensive midfielders, we have Colin Fernandez and Kivon Lambert. Then our Diamond forward formation or diamond uh, uh, middle formation is Asante, Vega, and Flemings with Johnson holding the top.
2: Uh, Kyle, what were your thoughts on this starting 11?
3: You know, I, I really liked it after, you know, the lackluster performances in front of net that we've had as of late. To uh, to see Jason Johnson get the start up front, I was really excited, and I thought from the get-go he brought a lot of energy and a lot of danger, and and for me, just his ability to be so diverse, to where he can he can play in the middle, up top, or if we want to rotate him out to the wing and have him go outside and move either Flemings or Asante to the middle, he can do all of that. So, I for me, he was you know one of the very su- surprising names to see start up top, but I thought you know he had a great impact throughout the night. Um, Lubin, I think, absolutely deserved to be in net. The one big surprise for me as well was Devin Vega. Seeing him, you know, get a start, I think it was well earned from his time down in Tucson. And I think he had a solid night last night. So I think there were a few, you know, eyebrow raises when I looked at the team sheet. But all in all, players that deserve to be out there.
0: Yeah, this is my... Uh, Dia, H.A., Joe, and Mustafa. Uh, I thought it was a it was a pretty solid back line there. Very glad to see LaMoscow. Uh, the fly, uh, Devin Vega, reinserted back in the lineup. The sauce, and as I, <clears throat> Yeah, I, as I'm looking at this, this uh, uh, midfielders and forward combination, I don't know of four faster players on any single team in the Western Conference. This was a lineup that was built for speed. Uh, both in, in your, your front uh, your front four, Asante, Vega, Flemings, and Johnson, as well as on the wings with Dumbaya. And we were able to see them uh, penetrate and use that speed to, to our advantage.
2: That's a good point about speed. Um, I don't think this will be... I mean, Vega, you don't expect to be starting every week. But he does bring that dimension, um, and he's able to get the ball to our guys who can really create. Um, especially up the wings, too, with Dia and Dumbaya. Um, They were able to get up in space pretty regularly and put in crosses, and especially Dumboya had more of an active role in our attack than in previous weeks. I thought this was his best match of the season for us. Um, He was more solid defensively and more involved offensively. Um, You know, he earned that yellow card in the first half, and yeah, I I like this lineup. There were a couple guys that didn't have their best night, Um, but, you know, all in all, I like this starting eleven. Um, So let's get to the match itself. Kind of a tough start, actually, for Phoenix. Um, There were a couple times where Tacoma caught us on the break in the first five minutes. Um, You know, Tacoma had a really young squad, mostly teenagers in this match. Uh, Their keeper was a teenager, um, and then their striker was a teenager, Alec Diaz. Um, But he got a good shot on goal against Zach Lubin, who had to make a humongous 1v1 save in the third minute if this goes in that could have completely changed this match
0: yeah and uh you know there was some miscues uh, along that back line because that wasn't the only time uh where Tacoma was able to go and I I gotta say Tacoma I keep wanting to say S2 right uh but Tacoma uh did was able to go one-on-one with Lubin so uh I, I think that there's some things that that are missing still in our defensive communication, uh, but yeah, <laughs> Lubin came up huge on on a couple chances for for Tacoma uh, that were gifted to them, kind of by our defensive midfielders, and specifically Kevon Lambert. Uh, in one of those cases, uh, and I. I think that might've been the first case in that, that that first save in the second minute, third minute there.
2: Well, on that one, it was actually a long ball. Um, and Joe Farrell was just outpaced by Diaz, um, who won the race to that ball and then yeah, took a touch right. and got that's past right. him. But no, you're right. Kevon Lambert did have a couple bad giveaways. One that comes to my mind was the 21st minute where he was just playing a back pass to no one. And it, it set Tacoma up on a two V one and, uh, you know, this time it was Azriel Gonzalez um, one-on-one with Lubin, and he just completely shanked it. Um, you know, good teams are going to put these opportunities in the back of the net. So, you know, yes, we get a shutout yesterday, but I, I think it was more because Tacoma just didn't have their boots on than, you know, us with a heroic defensive performance. I mean, Lubin makes big saves, but uh, there was definitely a little bit wanting.
0: Yeah, look. Looking back in my in my notes here, yeah, that in that 2021st 20, 20 minute, um, my note just said Lambert puts no weight on a pass given away, to to gift defiance the opportunity. That was a really rough uh, a rough giveaway there, and it was kind of demonstrable of uh, of Lambert's feeling of he just looked lost for the majority of the match. Uh, There were some parts where I felt Fernandez, where is he? I don't understand where he's at. You know, he's not really involved. But then he came into the picture. Lambert, I don't think, came in the picture in any positive manner in the last match or in this match.
3: No, it it didn't seem like it. And and it did almost seem like he was lost. And I think as a fan, you know, watching, there was times where I forgot that Lambert was out there on the field other than seeing, you know, his long legs and his lengthy build um it it really was kind of an off night for him and it was unfortunate because for my money I think our best defensive midfield pairing is Lambert and Fernandez so you know disappointing to see you know that he did not have the best night and there's you know clear evidence that a lot of Tacoma's opportunities for build-up came through his lack of play but um I think this is a match that you know Lambert didn't have the best night he hopefully can regroup and And get back into good form because we got a very important match coming up so hopefully this was just a one-off for Lambert
2: Yeah we're going to need him big time in our next two matches at Sacramento and Orange County but um, you know hopefully he recovers and I mean it is also that one giveaway and a couple other ones that's how teams have been scoring on us this season that's how Austin scored on us in their 1-0 win so it's really a, a frustrating trend and we need to we need to stop that ASAP because in those matches we are going to concede goals like crazy if we keep giving it away. Um, But in this match, we don't get burned and we get more into the match in the next few minutes. Um, Devin Vega has a shot that just goes over. Um, Solomon Asante tried to have one time a volley. It went wide, but it was a good idea. And then, you know, it's a pretty frustrating first half until the 34th minute when Junior Flemings cuts past a couple defenders just a great individual effort and a a rips one from about 20 yards out right in the bottom corner. Um, And once that goal goes in, you feel like there are more coming because that's the big breakthrough. And now we got our mojo
1: back.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And that, that that was a beautiful, just a really beautiful right-footed, right-footed back post shot uh, that rolled in past past amused the, Um, was it Muse is the keeper's name? Yes. Yeah. Muse rolled right past Muse. Um, I think his positioning couldn't have been much better on, on that ball because of, of of where it came through. So, I mean, we're talking about a game of, of inches that this ball goes in, has a beautiful spin on it. Uh, Flemings has to make a really nice move around two or three defenders to put that spin on the ball. And uh, gets the crowd going and moving and yelling and screaming, and sort of releases the demons uh, of Wednesday's match against Austin.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was just a great piece of of individual effort. And I, I just want to go back to the ball that was played to Fleming's from, I believe it was AJ Cochran. And I mean, this guy it, it's it's amazing to me how. Underrated, it seemed he was or under the radar he went last year in the USL championship and how Atlanta United let him get out of their system because I mean he can just play dime balls from that back line and to to play and set up Fleming's like that and then Fleming's just as everyone said takes the team on his shoulders goes on his own beats three guys and curls that ball into the net to get the entire crowd fired up I mean it was just it was a great sequence of play and I mean that's Phoenix Rising football right there I mean that is what we love to see that quick, fast, in-your-face style, I mean, it was just, it was a perfect goal. Perfect way to start the match.
0: And AJ after- Cochran is so dangerous with that ball off of his foot. He's always looking to go uh, go to the third level uh, yes. and, and, and bring that ball forward and find players in open space. Doesn't matter if he's on the back left and he's coming to the, to the top right or, or whatever. He is accurate. What a great pickup <clears throat> to be able to get him on our back line. Yeah, he, he really is a class above. Um, but then
2: that first goal just throws Tacoma off their game and really gives us what we need to keep moving forward. It gives us that confidence. So three minutes later, uh, we get another goal. Dumboya does a great job to force a turnover, um, win the ball, and then get the ball to Asante in space. So Asante can do that, you know, one of his trademark crosses into the box. Jason Johnson, cool as a cucumber, just side-foots it in. So that's 2-0 right there. Um, you know, And then moments later in the 44th minute, uh, Flemings and Johnson combine again. This time, JJ gets the ball on the left wing, whips in across, and uh, Flemings is right there to head it back across the face of goal. Such a cool, perfect header right there. So it's 3-0. We could have even scored again in stoppage time. Um, Fleming's put in a cross for JJ, and he had an open header and he just missed it. Um, Tacoma was just dreadful at marking guys, especially in those last fifteen minutes of the first half, and it it really cost them the game because, you know, that stretch there we just piled it on.
3: Yeah, that we did, and I mean it it came at such a perfect time because. I mean, you could feel the tension in the stadium in the 30th minute when it was still nil-nil. And, you know, we had some good opportunities, but I didn't think we had any great opportunities up until that point. And just, you know, to get those three goals right at the end of half, to go up 3-0, I mean, yeah, you'd have to say Tacoma's night was over at that point. I mean, they I don't know what their coach would have said, you know, in, his, in the locker room at halftime, but there couldn't have been much other than let's just try and keep them from scoring again because... I mean, they were just, it seemed like shattered in that in the end of the first half. And, and for Rising, I mean, it just had to be more of the same so, to stick with it, to keep doing what they were doing, to stay, you know, resolute in defense and to, to keep that shutout. And that, that, you know, that was what ended up happening. And uh, I really think that going into halftime up 3-0 was just so refreshing for this team. It was probably uh, just what the doctor ordered.
2: Yeah, Aaron, what are your thoughts on that barrage at the end of the first half?
0: Yeah, you know, it was a lot of excitement. In fact, uh, so last night was uh, Passover, so I was at a friend's house having a nice uh, a, a nice Passover dinner, and I turned the, the, the game on, happened to turn it on in the 33rd minute, right after the Fleming's goal. Got to see a little bit of the celebration, uh, and then, you know, to, to be able to – and then you're depressed, right, because you're like, oh, I just missed something. Oh, Why? And then uh, <clears throat> to have Johnson score that goal right afterwards uh, fulfilled all of the Passover, all of the Ten Commandments, or something like that. I don't. That's not, That's not a Passover thing. Uh, it, it, but it was. <laughs> it was just fantastic. It was. It was good to see him. It's interesting to see Johnson because we're so used to seeing him as a winger. We're seeing him. Used to seeing him on the left side, working with Dia, having good interplay in that way. In the past. Uh, including last year when we've had experiments of putting him up at the top of being that that target uh, that target man he hasn't really fulfilled uh, I think what we what we had hoped we always like to see him on the side generally on the left side tonight or last night to be able to see him perform so well in that top player role in that that point man role uh, it was great to see him put that foot in the ball it was very interesting to see the the celebration afterward uh with him bringing his teammates over sticking their thumbs their fingers in their ears uh in a matter to say hey we don't hear the haters we don't hear the the pundits we don't hear dominic talking about us you know <laughs> uh, um you know i i don't know what that was about but someone <clears throat>
2: someone said it was a little rascal celebration
0: oh was that what it was i I didn't understand it. A mom uh, with a
2: young kid mentioned that one. I was like, I could see that. Okay.
0: (laughs) All right, that's cool. But it definitely went over my head.
2: (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's still cool to see those kinds of celebrations. And uh, there was a lot to celebrate. I mean, 3-0 at halftime. We had a few matches with, you know, those moments like that. And I think that's Phoenix Rising at its best. We can just onslaught against other teams and just, kind of make the game end in a series of 10, 15 minutes, just put it out of reach. And that's what we did. You know, out of halftime, it would have been easy to get complacent, get content, but less than 10 minutes into the start of the second half, we score our fourth. And this is a great play by Junior Flemings because um, kind of a fluke how it gets started. There's a ball, uh, aerial battle, and the defender heads it off of Jason Johnson's head goes off the back of his head right to Junior Flemings in space. And Flemings could have put a shot on goal here. Instead, he draws defenders in and then slides the ball through the middle for Solomon Asante to just be wide open one time into the net 4 nil. And at that point, you know, the routes on and there's no competitive uh, match left to be played. The only question is, are we going to get a goal in the uh, happy hour, 60th minute or in the 69th minute on four twenty, I mean that's that's all there was left.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it it really was. I mean, and and for me um, to see Flemings, you know, who was on a hat trick at that point, to be unselfish. And to, you know, pass to Solomon Asante for what would be called a higher percent shot in the middle of the box, you know, able to evade his defender, um, I mean, it, it's just great. It shows, you know, the chemistry amongst these teams. They want to get this team. They want to get everyone involved. You know, it shows that Flemings, you know, he, he would love to score a hat trick, I'm sure, but he'd also love to ensure his team's victory. So um, it was just great. And, I mean, yeah, like you said, that basically was the fat lady singing at that point. It seemed like uh, Tacoma had nothing left for us, and he was just waiting to see if Zach Lubin could get us that clean sheet car
0: wash. And, and uh, Flunks did have two options in that case, too. Uh, Vega was there as well. He drew three defenders over, uh, picked out Asante. Uh, but, you know, good to see Vega also in the mix. He was in the mix for, for the vast majority of the match as well.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, also Solomon Asante's first goal from open play this year. So kind of nice to see that. Um, you know, not too much more that happens after that. I mean, we get a couple subs, um, Tristan Blackman came on, um, he made one big play shortly after coming on, blocking a shot, um, had an error later on, but, you know, Lubin made a big save to keep the shutout. And then, um, Asante almost got a brace in the 78th minute. He had a really good low shot that, um, Muse actually made a good save on. And then just before getting subbed out, Junior Fleming's is still on and he's there for the rebound. He could have had his hat trick, but the shot gets blocked. Um, so it ends up 4 0. Um, pretty comfortable stuff at the end there. And, you know, it was great to see the post match celebration too because the, this was our first home win this season. And, you know, in the past, the guys went over, but it wasn't as jubilant. This time they're going over, the whole team goes over there, they're all thrilled. You know, obviously the crowd is more pumped up because we won. So it was just really cool scenes
0: after the match. So, a couple things to share on here Phoenix had 68.9% possession in this particular match, 570 total total passes. Now, if you compare that to prior year, uh, the matches from last year, we were always almost always sub 300 for passes so we had 570 pass connections with 85.1 percent accuracy Uh, 25 total uh, 20 we had 25 crosses 25 crosses compared to giving up only one for Tacoma and then we had 23 shots on goal so some very very solid statistics kind of fly in the face of some of the statistics that we're gonna we're gonna talk about related to the Austin Bold match on Wednesday as well.
3: Yeah, and, and Aaron, I just I just want to say that I I mean it was clear last night that our passing game was just on point, and I mean you would see it when you know the match seemed to slow down in certain periods that Phoenix was just moving the ball left to right, side and side across the field, and all Tacoma would do is just move as a unit and follow back and forth, back and forth, and I really like seeing that because it's just a great way of tiring out the team and eventually catching one of their players out of position, and then with the speed that we had on the field last night and our ability to go out and beat players on the wing and cross balls into the box, I mean, it, it was just game plan to perfection by Rick Shantz, and I mean, yeah, it was just awesome to see us have so much time on the ball and really dictate the match.
0: Dom, were you able to get down there for the media scrum after the match? Yes, I was. Yeah, tell us uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what Shant said uh, uh, in relation to um, what happened in the locker room this week.
2: Yeah, so he, he said that there was a players-only meeting. I don't remember the date, but uh, there was a players-only meeting, and then later on they had another players-only meeting after that Austin match. Um, you know, guys just making sure that they're holding themselves accountable um, for what needs to be done. You know, Chance also gave the guys a pretty good talking to after that Austin match. And uh, everyone was just committed to the cause last night. And, you know, those players only meetings may have had a role in that. Um, You know, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't in sports. But it looks like in this occasion, um, it set us up pretty well for a big win.
0: Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, it's important at this at this particular point in the season Uh, You know, we're we're enough games in where we really shouldn't need to have some sort of locker room leader uh, step up there. Is Solomon Asante really the true locker room captain? He's a great field captain. Uh, You know, I I would love to know who the one who was actually talking the most there was. Um, You know, uh, lacking that leadership that Didier Drogba had, that commanding leadership uh, that Drogba had last year, you know, who is the man this year? And I, I don't know, but whoever it was, it worked. And uh, it seemed to to really congeal this time around.
3: Yeah, to be a fly on the wall in that meeting, that would have been sweet. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, well, the one thing that has come across my mind is, is we do not have one clear leader. And, and maybe there is... A few for this phoenix rising team i see i see solomon asante as a leader through his play you know we've all said he's not he's not the most vocal guy but he he is wearing the captain's armband so he's he's leading from that regard and in the way that he plays he definitely leads this team but i mean i think it would be a combination of a few players that you know are probably spoke up but it it is kind of concerning that we don't have that one outspoken uh Leader on the team, and you know it's something that we'll have to see develop throughout this season.
2: Yeah, and I would argue at this point, maybe uh, I mean maybe Wozeski, but maybe Jason Johnson now becomes that kind of leader because he's been on the squad for a pretty long time now, and you know a lot longer than most of our guys. Um, we should really move on to the Austin match though, because um, this is going pretty... to be <laughs> pretty. Yes, we do. <laughs> Uh, we got a lot to discuss this episode. So, um, even though Aaron was saying off air that he didn't recall that happened, um, I had to sit through the whole thing. So, I know it happened. Um, <laughs> it finished 1 0 to Austin. Um, and, you know, this is one of those tough matches, you know, as far as selecting a starting 11 because it's a midweek, because you're coming home soon, and uh, you're just coming off a big win in El Paso as well. Um, So he went for a lot of rotation. You know, personally, I would have started a stronger starting 11 for this one and done more of the rotation yesterday. I mean, but that's, you know, that's that's being a little bit uh, splitting hairs, a little bit of semantics. Um, And it's tough to have those regulars uh, play two competitive matches like that um, in a span of five days. So Ben Spencer gets to start up in the middle. you know, uh, Javier Lopez gets the start. Um, in the back, it's Batista back in the starting 11. Farrell Cochran and then Tristan Blackman is the right back. So, you know, four center backs, basically, um, in our starting 11 in defense. Um Naga got the start, too. Musa. So, really, the only regular starters, um, Asante and Cochran um, and Lubin. And, and Farrell. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So probably Asante, um, yeah, Lubin, Farrell, Cochran. Uh, Johnson should be a regular starter, but he hasn't quite been there yet. Um, So, yeah, so interesting match. I mean, it started slow, um, but then as the first half went on, we got more into it, and it was really just, you know, in some ways the Diego Restrepo show because he made a few really good saves. Um, especially on a free kick late in the first half from Jason Johnson. What were you guys' thoughts on the first half of this match?
3: It, I mean, you you got it. It started off very slow. Um, Austin almost, you know, they started off on a better foot, I would say, than Phoenix. Um, you know, they had some decent opportunities, but yeah, just to go to those free kicks by Jason Johnson, I mean, I, I really like his idea and what he's doing there, and I think... I think he should get more opportunities to take our free kicks because we haven't had success at all this season. I mean, Restrepo just coming up huge with those saves, and and that's the one thing that they were talking about on the broadcast, and that I always, you know, I always think of when I see Diego Restrepo is he he might not always get the credit that he deserves, and he lost his job last year, but it seems like time he comes up against Phoenix, he has the match of his life, so it's it's got to be something in the water that he's drinking on those nights, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, very frustrating first half, just Phoenix not be able to get anything with nothing what we would have anticipated, but uh, they still should have gotten something.
0: Yeah, it really seems like every goalkeeper that we go up against uh, seems to have the game of their life, and Restarco <laughs> played incredibly well. I have a lot of respect for the guy, um, I really I think that he's a he's really a, a an outstanding keeper, um, and it <clears throat> I, my my takeaway from that first half was the same as you also, is that we've been missing the free kick uh, free kick taker, and Johnson really seemed dialed in, uh, and then we were able to see him again uh, take free kicks in last night's match against Tacoma as well. Although I think there was only one free kick that that was even taken the the for the that. The, had a chance but yeah, he missed by Johnson, like 6 inches. Oh, <laughs> <I mean, laughs> yep. He almost was, hit the ball. It was again. close.
3: It was yep. very close.
0: Yeah, so this was a a good showing to show why Jason Johnson deserves to be in the starting 11 week uh, week in and week out in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and I agree and you know, unfortunately with this match, it just seemed like everyone was a little bit off and the only guys that wanted to do something that wanted to take this match and make it theirs were Asante and Johnson. And, uh, you know, even then, things were, I mean, Asante had a couple good chances too. Late in the first half, Restrepo had to stretch out to uh, save a really long shot from Solomon, um, you know, in addition to reaching out to save that Jason Johnson effort. But everyone else, I mean, you know, Cochran had a nice pass for Aginaga, Naga, but Aginaga Naga couldn't quite sort the ball out. Everyone else just felt kind of off everyone looked kind of off, like, you know, passes that should have been completed were just a little bit off, you know, great opportunities weren't being taken or they were missing a little bit wide. Ben Spencer was a step slow on several occasions, um, not quite getting where he needed to be. And uh, that's something a lot of supporters were frustrated with was Ben Spencer's performance because Asante put in balls on several occasions where, in my opinion, if it's Adam John in, if it's even Jason Johnson up top, you know, they're getting into those spots and they're tapping at home for a goal. And Spencer was just a step or two slow on those occasions.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was screaming that in my living room on Wednesday night, Dominic. I mean, it really was frustrating. And and I understand, you know, Spencer... Spencer probably got the start because he got that goal in El Paso and and much credit to him it was a nice goal but I mean it if he was able to get that goal in El Paso there was multiple very similar opportunities that Solomon Asante gave him against Austin that he just was not there for so very frustrating um yeah. And I mean, yeah, there's not much else you can say. You just, you expect more. The one thing I will say about Ben Spencer is his old hold up play is awesome. I mean, his ability to bring the ball down with his head or with his chest and control with his feet, with his back to goal has been great. And that's the one thing that I've seen out of him that time and time again, he seems to be able to distribute for the rest of his, uh, attacking forwards.
0: So one of our lineup pieces on the, this first half, uh, happened to get pretty spicy on social media after the match, and uh, that was Lamar, Lamar Batista, and I think that he was put in, the whole back line was put in a rough situation, basically starting with the four center backs, uh, all in Batista playing on, on, on the outside, but he got some really legitimate criticism about his play with the ball at his feet, as well as his speed and his lanky body, I just don't see a guy with a body like that to be able to play on the on the outside Blackman is a little bit more compact he's got a little bit more speed on the back line and I think that he's been playing uh, in that that wingback role better but I, I just don't see Batista uh, in that role and as as spicy as he got after the match that was pretty uh, pretty unlike what a professional athlete would should normally be uh, and he got some well-deserved criticism. And although he deleted the tweet, it's still out there because, you know, there's something called screenshots that can be taken. <laughs> I
3: was just going to say, screenshots live forever. Um, I, I mean, it is it is kind of concerning, but you have to take into consideration this is a 21-year-old who is, is loaned down to a second division side. And, you, you know, he was thrown into a situation that we talked about you know, it's not his natural position to be out there. His build is not for that. Like you said, Blackman has more speed and seems to be more comfortable in that in that left back position or the right back. Sorry. I think that uh, I think it was just an off night. And I mean, Batista was clearly our you know the weakest link in that back line. And it was you know frustrating that he airs his frustrations, you know, out there on social media. And it, I think it was, you know, just a heat of the moment type of situation because it came almost immediately after the match. So, you know, it's something that he definitely needs to learn from and hopefully he does. And uh, we'll we'll just have to see going forward. I think that he has, you know, plenty of opportunities to redeem himself with the Phoenix Rising Faithful. So, uh, you know, it's just up to him to go out there and do it now.
0: Well, it's, it was also kind of interesting because it sort of came on the heels of a pretty uh, pronounced social media discussion, and not just amongst Phoenix Rising, uh, within the USL Pro Reddit, within several other uh, areas uh, of USL talk about what is the role of of lend, uh, lendy players and or I'm sorry, loany players. And he's a lonely player. And, I, you know, I wonder if any of that sort of got in his head in in relation to, you know, what club am I actually playing for at this point? Yeah. I mean, it's... Oh, you can go, Dominic. I was just
3: going to say it's a good point. I mean, it's fair to think that, you know, he could be in that mindset.
2: It is a good point. Um, Maybe we should discuss, like, on a slower week when there's not as much going on... Um, But
0: it is fair. Yeah, that's a long that's a long discussion. But (laughs) it's just something that that I wanted to, you know, in relation to Batista in particular. Fair
2: enough. Um, At the at the start of the second half in this match, I don't know what happened um, because it was like the reverse effect of like a good motivational halftime speech. We played our worst 15 minutes of the match out of the halftime break. Um, You know, before they score a goal. a really bad giveaway by Solomon Sante, very unusual for him. He was expecting a foul to be called. There was no whistle blown, and it set up Austin Tear Pack um, in a great position, and he just dragged his shot like a foot wide, but he was through on goal. I mean, he probably should have scored. Then a few minutes later, um, and Tristan Blackman owned up for this too, um, made a bad pass. He was trying to find uh, one of the midfielders and it was just a miscommunication. He just set up a set up a break for for uh, Austin and um, Sonny Guadarrama uh, takes the ball from midfield towards the edge of the box. Um, and at that point, Joey Farrell's in a tough position because he needs to also account for the uh, the wing who is making a runner, the winger who is making a run. Um, and also try to block the shot, and Guadramà just got him leaning one way for a second, and then he put a great curler in. There's nothing that Lubin could have done on that shot, um, but you know, it kind of felt like it was against the run of play. And yet, you know, for how sloppy we were out of halftime, it was kind of deserved because they had another chance in that stretch, where Lubin had to make a huge save. So, I mean, it, with how bad we played in those 15 minutes, we deserved to concede a goal in
0: that stretch. And how bad do you feel for Joey Farrell in that situation? There is no good decision for him to make. Does he cover the player who's, who's streaking on, on, uh, uh, off of the side? Does he cover the player on the ball? Does he step up? I mean, there really is no good decision for him to make in that case uh, <clears throat> that's, that, that's going to prevent some sort of shot on goal.
3: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and I, I was thinking that myself, watching it and re-watching the replay, that, you know, I, I personally was screaming for Farrell to step up right then, but, I mean, we all talk about it. He steps up, and the defender is able to get that ball out to the winger, and we see a ball, ball crossed in, or, or the winger cuts inside. I mean, it, it really just put him on an island, and, you know, the only way that I think Farrell comes out of that unscathed is if he gets lucky, and, and the player with the ball takes a bad touch. So, I mean just unfortunate but I also do have to give props to Blackman. I mean, it was, you know, a poor pass but he was the first to come out and admit he, you know, took the whole loss on his shoulders, said that, you know, it was single-handedly down to him, down to his mistake and and I don't think that's fair because I think, you know, there's plenty of players on that team that could have, you know, helped out defensively in that situation and that could have gone out and, you know, scored a goal or two. So it was just a learning experience, I think, all around, but frustrating nonetheless because it was a match that we just we didn't have enough.
0: And the polar opposite response uh, for a loney player versus what we what we talked about a couple minutes ago. Blackman yes. puts it on his shoulders, and he shows, hey, guys, I've spent enough time in Phoenix. This, you know, this is my team too, and regardless of you know if I'm traveling back and forth to L.A., uh, th- I want this team to win.
2: Yeah, and and Rick Shantz had his players back, too, which was refreshing to see. He was like, no, it wasn't it wasn't your fault. You know, everyone wins and loses as a team. We're going to work hard. We're going to play better. Um, So it was refreshing to see that that was pretty, pretty wholesome stuff. Um, You know, after that, the match went on. I mean, Phoenix was pushing for that equalizer. Um, Fleming's came on for Jason Johnson. There was one notable opportunity, I thought, where Asante puts in a cross and Ben Spencer would have had a tap-in if he just got to the ball and he just couldn't quite get to the ball. He was outstretched. He just missed it, and then he got a yellow card for running into the goalie. Um, Incredibly frustrating because those are the kinds of chances that you just have to put in in a match like that where goals are hard to come by you know, when Asante puts in a ball like that, you just have to have that end product. Um, now,
0: now, regardless of what, I mean, I he was just, a you know, a, a half-step late, whatever. I, w- I was infuriated. Was that a yellow card, in your opinion?
3: How? How is that a yellow card? I mean, he's playing the ball the keepers put out there and exposed himself. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess if you're a huge cynic, you could say it's a yellow card, but I, I just... I don't see that. I mean, it was a physical match all night. So to get see a yellow card happen for that, I think that's just just a bad call.
0: He really do- he doesn't go and spikes up. His, uh, you know, he does. He uh, bends his knees. Uh, I, it's a full on 50-50 ball. It just it would confuse the hell out of me.
2: Yeah, it is is frustrating. Um, you know, there was even a shot later on a free kick where Asante whipped it in. There were two. I mean, one of them, um, Restrepo just punched out. But there was another one that got headed off the line. I mean, that's just... That's when you know it's not your night. Like, when you have a great shot towards the corner and it gets headed off the line. Um, or what, actually, was that a flick on header that got headed off? I think that was a flick on header that got he- that got headed off the line. Um, yes. In any case... I think it was, too. Yeah, in any case, just, you know... I was thinking after that match, there are a few matches every season that are just BS. Like it's just a stupid match. Like you deserve to at least get something from it. Um, (laughs) And you don't. And that's how like the game goes. The all time one for me is going to be, I think in 2017, when we lost one nil at home to San Antonio and they only had one shot on target and it was their one goal in the last like six or seven minutes. And it should have been called offsides in a match where, like, we were just dominating and Restrepo made, like, three or four worldy saves. Um, That's going to be, like, the number one all-time. You know, the Swope Park 2017 playoffs uh, penalty shootout loss, that's another one. But, uh, yeah, there are a few of those every season. And, you know, spin zone it. We're getting these out of the way early on. um, And we're still in playoff positions, so
3: life could be worse. Absolutely. We could be Orange County, SC, right? <laughs> That's true. Hopefully, that day never comes. No, I, I, I'm with you, Dom. I mean, it, it was frustrating, very frustrating. But I mean, it, what this reminded me of was RGV on the road. Similar matches to going down to Rio Grande Valley. Very difficult defensively. You know, they'll they'll threaten you, and it just it wasn't our night. It was just it just didn't work out as planned. Um, but, I mean, we regrouped and we, we made it you know, happen last night, and that that's really, really shows the character of this team that they're not going to let that type of loss stick. They're going to put it in the rear view and just look forward, and that's all we can do going forward now is we got two very, very difficult opponents upcoming.
0: And uh, that pretty much gives us a chance to uh, put these two matches in the rear view mirror for us as well. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for a uh, quick message from our sponsors and then come back with a preview of the Phoenix Rising match against Sacramento Republic FC and discuss some USL scores. And we'd like to take a moment to thank Wolfnex Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Thank you for your sponsorship of our podcast and all the podcasts on the beautiful game network. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And if you're interested in sponsoring the Rising as One podcast, message fitbaufoto at gmail.com. Now, back to the Sacramento preview and scores from around the USA.
2: And welcome back, everyone. We are here to preview next week's big matchup in, Sac- in Sacramento against the Republic, um, and then we'll talk about other USL Western Conference scores. So, guys, what do you, what do you guys know about Sacramento coming into this match? I know that they're going to take an
0: MLS bid that I really want. <laughs> That's later <laughs> in the show. <laughs> There's a preview for you for later in the show. <laughs> uh, Kyle, what about you?
3: You know, this is a Sacramento team that I, they seem to always have a very, you know, similar identity. That they, you know, they're solid defensively. We're all familiar with Josh Cohen in net for them. So you know, they they have a very good goalkeeper. But for me, it seems like they have a few returning names and a few new names. Um, Tyler Blackwood, you know, he he went to Sporting KC or um, Swope Park Rangers last year and then came back to Sacramento Republic. So, you know, it'll be good to see a familiar, you know, Arizona United, Phoenix Rising Face. Um, but I mean, other than that, the really only player that sticks out for me is Cameron Owasa on their on their uh, squad and I mean, he's going to be a huge player to watch. He's always a player that's tormented Phoenix in the past. So, I mean, I I just think this is going to be a very difficult road match. I don't know what the stats are, but I can't recall us ever getting a point at Papa Murphy's Park. So, I mean, this is it's going to be a very motivated uh, supporter base, you know, with this MLS news um, pending. So it's 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 going to be a night that you're going to want to show out. They're going to want to show that they're a top quality team and they've done so far this season. You know, so I I think that this is going to be a true test for Phoenix. Last night was, you know, a great motivator. But I think next week is where the rubber meets the road and we see what this Phoenix team is made of.
2: And uh, one note there, we actually did get a nil-nil draw in Sacramento last year. Um, I okay, plan- so one point. There we go. Yeah, and I believe it was because of a huge penalty kick save by Carl Wozinski uh, in a match where we were definitely the second-best team. So it is a really tough place to play. That's where our massive uh, un- unbeaten streak ended in 2017. Um And they have strong home form this year. If you look at their home form, they have two wins and a draw in three matches. Um, They crushed OKC Energy 4-1 in a uh, very high-profile match on a Sunday afternoon. You know, away from home, they've been very mediocre. They beat Colorado Springs in a pretty boring 1-0 match. Um, You know, I talked to the Colorado Springs guy about it, and he felt like that should have been a draw. And then they lost their last two away matches, one against the uh, MLS Lone Monster in Tacoma, (laughs) and then another one at T2. So not a a world-beater kind of team, but they are better at home. Um, They do have a pretty solid team. I think the guy to to watch with them is always going to be um, Kami Wassa. Or did Wassa go somewhere else?
0: No, oh, Iwasa. Uh, yeah, Iwasa, Kenny Their lead player. Yeah, yeah, he's their lead player. He's got 16 shots, uh, five goals on the season, uh, four off of his right foot, as I'm reading the statistics here, uh, and all and four of his goals, uh, four of the five goals come from inside the box. So he's a real penetrating player. He's their iron man at this point with 540. Uh, well, there's a couple players with 540 minutes played, um, but the other player I think is a defenseman. So uh, he's he's got uh played every minute of every game so far this season uh and yeah he's going to be our the danger guy that we're going to have to be looking at because nobody else has any more than one goal
3: yeah
2: and uh viljan bizev uh, another guy to watch Um, he's been there for a couple years and he seems to be a solid uh presence for sac republic um and and blackwood is actually still there in sacramento um so he'll be another one to watch and then of course Josh Cohen and Net. Um, it's always a solid team. It's not. It's not a, uh, you know, clear best team in the Western Conference. I think they looked a little bit better in the early season than you know what they're really going to be. But uh, and they do have. They do struggle to score goals at times. But um, they they are still a really difficult team to break down. And I could see this match going where, you know, if we make one defensive error, we fall behind. And then they'll just lock it down and maybe win one or two nil. Um, I hope that's not the case. But one thing that doesn't help us either, Sacramento Republic has a bye week this week. So they will have an extra week of rest going into that match. Um, Teams always complain about that in the NFL when they have to play a team coming off a bye. Um, That's what we're up against next Saturday. So what are you guys'
3: predictions for this one? I think, I mean, I, as boring as it is, I I just I don't know that we're able to go on the road and get a win against, as we talked about, this difficult opponent that uh, we haven't won in the past. But I, I could see us getting a draw. Um, I like to think it'd be 1-1, as you said. I think that, you know, that... Sacramento probably scores first, and and as you said, it's probably off of Awasa being able to get some quality service in the box, and he's able to, to put one in, but I, I like to think that we're going to pull at least one goal out of this. Um, I, I really like what I saw last night. I hope to see a similar front three of Asante, Flemings, and Johnson again. I think that that really could be what... uh what breaks down this team. But I think also Adam John could come in and do just fine with his hold-up play against a team that might want to slow Phoenix's tempo down and not let us play as fast as we did previously. So, uh, I I just think it's, it's going to be one of those matches that's going to be frustrating. There's going to be, you know, few opportunities. And and if we're able to get a goal out of it and to get a point on the road, I think we'd be uh, very fortunate.
0: Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, Sacramento Republic sitting on a three, two and one record. Their home record is two Oh, and one, I think it's going to be tough for us to be able to travel and, uh, give them their first home loss. Um, I, I think this is probably leads up to be a two, uh, a two, one loss for us, uh, potentially in Papa Murphy's Park there.
2: Yeah. And for me, I, I see it being a one nil loss. Um, it's just you know we are playing them off a bye. We haven't had the best road form this year. Um, it's always been a difficult opponent, um, and we I don't think we've fully hit our stride this season. So, you know, you throw all that stuff in the mix. I think it will be a win for Sacramento.
0: Hey, for all of you listeners out there, we're not a hundred percent home or we're not homers one hundred percent of the time. Okay. <laughs>
3: Yeah, this is that one anomaly that uh we're being realist today. I think it's it's you know, something with the high from last night. You know, we're we're uh trying to come down from it.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, but you know against Orange County, we're going to all predict 5-0 wins.
0: I mean, that's Oh, well, so I mean we're getting our yeah, reali- we're getting our realism out of the seven. way now. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking seven seven easy in the first first half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah um oh gosh Uh, so yeah we got to get one realistic prediction in this season so that's that's the one Um, and let's talk about some other USL Western Conference scores because the results yesterday ended up helping us out uh, helping us jump a few spots in the standings and uh, close the gap between uh, us and the number one spot a little bit Um, Reno gives New Mexico United its first loss on the season um, 2-1. This was a match that, you know, correctly, a lot of people were looking forward to, um, and it lived up to the hype, you know. Um, Reno goes up early on. New Mexico ties it. Um, Josh Suggs, of all people, their defender, ties it at 1-1. And then in the 89th minute, um, Duke LaCroix just fights past the defender. It's a similar goal to the one that uh, Junior Fleming scored for us, just Puts a shot, a really great shot, into the uh, right corner. Keeper stretches out and gets a palm to it, but it sneaks in. Um, dramatic late winner, and it'll be nominated for goal of the week, I'm sure. Big, big win for Reno.
0: And Brian Brown, uh, teammate on the Jamaica national team of Junior Flemings, and Kevon Lambert as well, uh, pulling that out. Uh, if brown wasn 't performing so well i th- I think that Jason Johnson would actually be in that uh, in that starting striker role for Jamaica as well yeah i don 't know about that
2: johnson hasn 't been given okay that 's me pass. being
0: that 's me being a homer okay so i 'm back to being a <laughs> homer again
3: yeah i mean I think all three of our guys could easily start in the Jamaica national team lineup but uh you know there'd be a lot of other jamaicans out there who will will argue with that but i mean it's it's great just to see all these players from the jamaica team performing right now you know in a gold cup season because they're all you know putting themselves in that shop window to get to earn the opportunity to play so uh you know it's it's going to be very exciting but selfishly i i hope that none of our players end up going because it's going to be a crucial part of the season but uh we'll have to wait and see
2: yeah, you know, just, uh, just that helps us at least with New Mexico having the chance to uh, move up to the number one seed and they don't take advantage. Um, Brown actually didn't score in that match for Reno, but I'm sure he's going to have plenty of other opportunities to do that. Um, oh, he didn't? No, he did not. It was actually a guy who uh, scored his first professional goal got that other one. Um, But then, lots of other matches to
0: talk about, too. Oh, Brown. Yeah, you're right. Duke LaCroix. Uh, Brian, Brown had the assist on that. I'm sorry. Uh, My reading is fundamental. Sorry. It's alright. We all know what you were up to last night. (laughs) We went through uh, eight bottles of wine and three bottles of delicious cider-core cider. L'chaim. L'chaim, yes. Um, Other
2: results. So, we talked about orange county earlier they lose one nil to okc energy um alvin jones gets the goal for okc in the fourth minute um pretty weird source of a goal um but you know what you take them any way they come and then they just they lock it down orange county is unable to break through and it's three massive points for okc because they were in quite a bit of a slide there um and it also keeps Orange County from jumping higher in the table, and now we're ahead of them, which is always fun and petty. And I like things that are fun and petty. Um, Real Monarchs gets a 3-2 win over San Antonio. Um, San Antonio was up 2-0 at halftime in this match. Brian Gomez scores two goals. Um, but then the Monarchs get back into this one, and I'm sure that our friend uh, Harry at Ram and Cole will have some harsh things to say about the officials in this match because Real Monarchs gets its first two goals on penalties. Uh, Mike Helchein converts in the 48th. Jack Blake scores in the 56th. And then um, Kyle Coffey gives Real Monarchs a shot in the the standings with a game-winning goal there. So they get the 3-2 win and a A really weird match. I mean, San Antonio only has 39% possession and only three shots on target and six total. So they were kind of holding on for dear life once they went up 2-0, and it it burned them.
3: Yeah, I mean, just just not, you know, when they go up 2-0 inside the 17th minute, just not the result you expect. But, uh, you know, there probably was some, you know, referee influence in some of those penalty calls, uh, you would have to think, you know, two penalties quick like that. But uh, I mean, it's you know, it's crazy that Monarchs are able to get the win being down like that. But they they do that, and they're you know still in a, still in playoff position. Is RGV good? Um, after beating OKC
2: Energy last week, they put a whooping on Las Vegas, five two. Um, you know, most of the goal scoring in this one came after halftime. Um, but yeah, it was 2 two nil to RGV at halftime. They score five goals in this on four shots on target. Um, so every shot on target goes in, and they get an own goal. Um, you know, tough loss for Eric Winalda and Las Vegas Lights, but uh, RGV is uh, starting to look like an actual team. Um, they had a tough, tough start to this season. But all of a sudden, they are only two points, excuse me, one point out of the last playoff spot. So that's a very interesting comeback for them. You know, um, there's,
0: some, there's something to really enjoy about RGV as a franchise or a, as a club um, in that, you know, this is a these are folks who play literally like in the middle of nowhere. They play uh, on the border, you know, politically a hot area area. Um, they have a beautiful stadium that they play at. Uh, and and it, it's like if you're thinking about like purity of the game, this is this is an example of, you know, what you find in pure, the purity of the game uh, in the middle of the, the farm fields in the Rio Grande Valley. So there's something pretty cool about what's going on down there. And I do hope that they continue to beat everybody that I hate, like Las Vegas Lights and uh, Orange County.
2: Yeah, and they've, yeah. Uh, they've built a fortress at home
3: there. You were going to speak? I was just going to say, they really have. I mean, to go back to my point earlier, I mean, I, we've always had a difficulty traveling to RGB. You know, it is a very nice stadium, and it's it's awesome to see them be able to sustain in, in this league and to be around for the past few seasons because at, at first when they came into the league, I kind of questioned whether they'd be viable for the long term. But, uh, you know, they've really done that, and if they're, you know... Within the playoff chase this season, I think they'll uh, you know just bring more and more fans.
2: Yeah, they actually get really good to tenants considering it is such a uh, remote part of Texas. There, um, well, there
0: ain't nothing, there ain't nothing else to do but uh, tip cows. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe they should have been the ones with that down in the farm uh, day, but um, still so, in the <laughs> animal sounds. Yeah. Geez, uh, no, they're a little more professional than that. Um, then Timbers and Colorado Springs have a pretty interesting match. Um, Colorado Springs, another team that had been in quite a slide, um, they get a two-two draw on the road in Portland. Um, Jordan Burt scores first on a penalty, but then Foster Langsdorf gets a brace for Timbers two, both goals in the last thirty minutes. Um, frustrating result for Colorado Springs. They, you know, they're up one-nil. They go back to a 1-1 draw they go ahead 2-1 and then moments later Langsdorf scores again so it ends up being 2-2 on the night um you know and that puts Timbers temporarily into the top spot in the Western Conference um we'll get to the table uh later in the episode but right now they are on top at 14 points and we are just four points back um at 10 points
0: um I right want, want to of course give mention to the Colorado Springs goalkeeper uh, the young young 16 year old Abraham Rodriguez who actually uh, did play in that game so the match that he played against us it was not just a fluke he actually has four games played uh, four starts uh, and, and they uh, continue to run him out there
2: yeah potentially the future for Colorado Rapids is on display so get a good look for him while you can uh, their team with I don't think they have really any long-term goalkeeping solutions, so maybe he's their guy in a year or two. Uh, But I think that does it for the Western Conference. We have an Austin-El Paso match later this afternoon, Um, so that's about it.
0: and the match between the Austin Bold FC and El Paso Locomotive ended in a nil-nil draw, a rather boring affair with only three shots on target between the two sides. The result puts the El Paso Locomotive solidly at the bottom of the Western Conference standings in the 18th position with only six points. At the top of the table is Portland Timbers 2 with 14 points, followed closely by New Mexico United with 13, then Reno 1868 FC with 12. Real Monarchs follows with 11 points, and then a grouping of teams, Sacramento Republic, Tulsa Roughnecks, OKC Energy, and your Phoenix Rising FC, all with 10 points, rounding out the 5th through 8th positions. In 9th, we have a tie for with LA Galaxy and Fresno FC with 9 points, and below the line, following is Orange County SC, Rio Grande Valley, Austin Bold, Colorado Springs, Las Vegas Lights, San Antonio, Tacoma Defiance, and again, the El Paso Locomotive FC. That wraps up this week's review of the standings and scores in the Western Conference of the USL Championship League. In other play around Arizona, FC Arizona is sitting atop the NPSL West Region Conference standings with 22 points, continuing an undefeated season, currently at 6-0-4. Trailing right behind them however is FC Golden State with 19 points, 6-1-1 with two games at hand over FC Arizona. So the NPSL season still has some ways to go, but FC Arizona is looking good. If you don't plan on traveling to see Phoenix Rising take on Orange County on May 4th, make sure to mark your calendar. To check out Sporting Arizona FC as they open their UPSL season, and Saturday it's se- Saturday, May 4th, 7 p.m. at Phoenix College. The following Friday, May 10th, brings the first Copper State Friday and Dollar Beer Night to Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex. And the following day on Saturday, May tw- May 11th, Sporting Arizona, Sporting AZ, has a home match against MSC United as two local Arizona UPSL teams face off at Phoenix College at 7 p.m. Make sure to mark your calendars for that match, and always remember to support local soccer. Now, back to Dom, Kyle, and oh, me, as we discuss team news and MLS. And welcome back to the
2: Rising As One podcast where we're now going to talk about team news and then get into the MLS uh, press release on Thursday by Don Garber. Um, you know, the first thing we want to shout out is something that just happened less than an hour ago. Uh, Phoenix Rising, um, their youth club, played in the Dallas Cup in the U-17 division and uh, just won the final, the national final, um, at the Dallas Cup. Um, I believe they were playing in the cotton bowl stadium and uh they get the win there in penalties over Carataro. so that's unbelievable um that's the biggest accomplishment for our youth club in uh in its history and you know they won a just 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 a tremendous accomplishment i don't know a lot about the dallas cup i do know it's a very prestigious youth tournament uh, with teams all around america and even international teams as seen with Carataro getting involved um so that's just unbelievable do you guys have anything to add there
3: i mean you summed it up great i think i think it's just as we said a huge achievement you know it's something that uh it's great to see for just the state of arizona for all of soccer here you know to see phoenix rising come in and to take the scottsdale Blackhawks and be able to get us to this level i mean it's just it's exciting and i think it's this should be more proof to MLS that soccer's you know alive and well here in the valley.
0: Yeah, big congratulations to uh, McRaevy and everybody over at the Phoenix Rising FC youth soccer program. Uh, they they do put together a great program. They have a good rec league as well as a good competitive league, uh, and uh, we're starting to see some dividends uh, on the field uh, for for the youth players and uh, some some nice signings in uh, our our uh, academy signings, Brandon Keniston and Elijah. Uh, elijah paul
3: yeah and one thing i'll say is hopefully you know phoenix retains some of these players they uh they make their way up to the first team and they bring that national championship experience
2: yeah um so just what an accomplishment um and they they were actually playing in the toyota stadium where fc dallas plays so not quite as big a venue but still a massive massive thing um you know, And what motivation is that for young kids to go into an MLS stadium to win a cup like that and know that they can do it? Um, so hopefully we have many more products coming through the academy that can, uh, you know, they're contributing right now at that level and one day they'll make it up. Um, another thing we want to discuss is the U.S. Open Cup draw. So the second round results were uh, released this week and, you know, most USL teams get to play amateur clubs or teams at a lower level, maybe USL league one in that round. There are not a lot of, uh, you know, USL league one teams or amateur teams in our area in the Southwest. Um, so we got drawn up against New Mexico United. Um, you know, kind of a, kind of a bad luck draw for us to not only have to play a USL team, but one of the best teams in the Western Conference, a rival Um, and it comes in the middle of, you know, back-to-back matches. However, uh, you look into the schedules that both teams have, and it actually works out better for us than for New Mexico because we have a home match that Friday before, and then we have a home match the Saturday after. So guys will be able to sleep in their own beds. It's a home draw for us. Um, The match will be played either on Tuesday or Wednesday. My guess is it'll be Tuesday the 14th so that it gives both teams more time to prepare for their Saturday matches. Um, But that'll work out because going in will have an extra day of rest. And New Mexico has that in the middle of a road trip where they're playing at El Paso and at Colorado Springs. So that's going to be a lot of travel for them. And those are both Saturday matches, so they don't have that extra day of rest.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that travel schedule plays in our favor pretty well. But I think, as, as always, this is always a really interesting sort of piece of the puzzle. And the more that I've learned about the the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, uh, <clears throat> the more interesting it is to think, you know, what are we playing for? Are we playing for, for you know, the glory of, of a, a, a potential USL championship? Do we focus on USL Cup? Do we use this as an opportunity to develop young players? Uh, I find this whole concept fascinating and obviously in Europe it's, it's in, in the top division it's a much bigger debate with the like 25 cup competitions that they have than what we have to deal with but when you're talking about regular season matches and weighing the need to succeed uh, in terms of your domestic league versus the opportunity to be able to move forward and play an LAFC or an LA Galaxy or some other MLS team and really prove your mettle uh, as a club, you know th- th- it's a really great opportunity. I I would want to see our team go all out for this, uh, and make sure that we're playing our best players for these cup competitions, especially as we're trying to make a case to become the potential thirtieth MLS franchise, as we're going to discuss in a few minutes.
2: Yeah, yeah I
3: mean, I, oh, go for it, go for I w- it. I was just going to say, I'm with you, Aaron. I think it, I think it's one of those things that. Many teams have many different approaches, at least here locally, you know, in the U.S. to the U.S. Open Cup and how they, you know, the lineups they put out there, whether they put out their stronger, you know, first team starting 11 or they mix in, you know, substitutes and and guys to get, you know, their debuts. And it's for me, I think it's a case by case, match by match uh, basis. I think a lot of teams, they start off maybe not putting their priority into the cup, But, you know, the farther they get, if, you know, they're able to get a win or two and they're still in the competition, once the MLS teams come in, that's when they start to really, you know, put all their eggs in that basket and push for it. For me, I would love to see Phoenix get an Open Cup run just because, you know, we haven't really had it since we became Phoenix Rising. We haven't had those opportunities to bring an MLS side here to travel to them. So I really think it'd be something fun. Um, But, I mean, at that, I also don't don't want to do it at the expense of this season so it's i think it's a fine line that uh hopefully you know rick Shantz, with his experience is able to to walk it
2: yeah i mean you're right about us not having a run like that there was one year when we were arizona united where we hosted i want to say la galaxy that's um, correct and we were actually up one nil at halftime and then the wheels kind of fell off because they're just an MLS team and they're you know, very good. And we weren't even making playoffs back then. Um, but yeah, in, in the modern era, so to speak, we have not had a deep cup run like that. Um, you know, last year kind of a fluke. Um, the one that I was really, you know, I'm still a little bit frustrated with is 2017. When um, we had San Francisco Deltas in our own building, very winnable third round tie. And, uh, you know, Omar Bravo got the start, and, you know, guys just weren't quite clicking, and it was 1-1 in stoppage time, and we just gave up a dumb, dumb goal right at the end of stoppage time, Um, and we would have been able to play an MLS team next round. I think we would have ended up at San Jose Earthquakes. Didier Drogba would have had the chance to play an MLS team. Um, I think everyone was really fired up for that, but it didn't quite happen, so... I think now is the time. I think if we beat New Mexico, we'll probably get a more favorable draw in the third round and then, you know, bring it on, bring on that MLS team, bring on the opportunity to uh, pull a cup set and get things going like that. I imagine that we'll play at least half of our regular starters for that match, because I think it has been a while and the team is making that more of a priority. Um, we thought we could skate by against uh, Sporting AZ last year, and that was not the case.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, so on on to MLS talk, I guess, you know. I mean, because that, that's... I don't know that that's our ultimate goal anymore, but <clears throat> it's definitely part of it. It's definitely a piece of the pie uh, that, that has to be talked about here, and that is that uh, earlier this week... Uh, on the on uh, April eighteenth mls met and unveiled plans to expand the the league to thirty teams now mls is already the largest division one league in the world uh, and and or, or i 'm sorry is already planned to be the largest division uh, one league in the world and this this new plan to go to thirty teams didn 't i don 't think it really caught anybody by surprise I think what does catch me by surprise is the clear uh the clear favoritism that's been shown here for the 28th and 29th bids uh what about you dom
2: yeah it looks like the 28th and 29th bids are uh pretty much set in stone um because he said that sacramento and st louis will be able to make presentations um regarding their expansion bids and then those are going to be announced around the all-star break this year he said he wanted to take his time on team 30. he mentioned four cities in that press release on thursday he said um, we've had recent positive discussions with charlotte in las vegas phoenix is still a market we believe in and we've had negotiations with detroit so i'm surprised he didn't mention indy at all but uh that's I mean, that, that probably works out for us. I wouldn't put too much stock into comments like this, but I think it is worth keeping an eye on, because last year he wasn't mentioning us at all. When he was mentioning you know, you know, the Sacramento's and the St. Louis's, he wasn't mentioning us. So he wasn't really tipping the hand at like who's coming up next. At least now it looks like we're in the discussion as far as who's coming up next. Um, do I even think that we're gonna end at 30 teams? Probably not. Um, you know, maybe 32, or maybe they're trying to get even closer to 40 so they can do an internal pro rail. But that's a that's a whole other discussion. Um, I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on the uh, the announcement? It looking now like San Antonio or Sac- Sacramento and St. Louis are set. And uh, what does him actually mentioning us in that press release mean?
3: I mean, to me, it means nothing. (laughs) Um, MLS is going to do, you know, is going to make MLS the most money. And I am one of those who personally think that they will push to get to 40 teams and institute their own pro-rel. I think, you know, they'll push. And I think by that, that point, they'll think that they're ready for that, that they'll have the agreement of all the owners and the fact that they're you know, kind of their own entity, that they'll have uh, better control over the promotion relegation and how it, how it you know, goes about. But, I, I mean, I think that it's just about time that, that these announcements were finally made. Um, I think Sacramento, for a while, they've had maybe a foot up on Phoenix just because they have their stadium site definitively. Phoenix is still kind of up in the air. We've all seen the renderings. We know we can build where we're at but it also seems like there's a lot of interest in another location in Phoenix. So um, I think that's one thing that goes against us. But, I mean, for me, St. Louis has kind of come, not out of nowhere, but more of a surprise. But, I mean, again, they're a history who have, you know, they have good fan support for when teams are, you know, successful. But I, I just, I think they're too big of a city for MLS not to want to have a team there. Um, but I, I just, I think it's kind of, a slap in the face to Phoenix that, you know, they just didn't get recognized. We didn't get any of the recognition, but I think it's also motivator for our front office and for the rest of the city to come out, support this team, to keep pushing. I mean, if we're selling out consistently and we're doing it at 10,000 people, um, I think MLS has to, you know, give us serious consideration when, you know, other clubs in the MLS are still performing very poorly as far as results and attendance, I think it's a matter of time for Phoenix. It's it's going to take a while, but you know I'm content with where we're at right now. I think we still have a USL championship to win, so uh, if you know if we rack up two or three before we get to MLS, I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, and another interesting point uh, that was made in the press release is that the expansion fee uh, was increased for the 28th and 29th clubs. Now it's. Uh, they they have not set the expansion fee for the thirtieth club, so they went from 150 million for the expansion fee uh, for uh, 24, 25, 26, and 27. They're now at 200 million for 28 and 29. We're now starting to get into a valuation situation where it may be less expensive to buy an existing franchise and move it to Phoenix than it will be to pay the expansion fee. And that's going to be a whole nother Austin-Columbus-type Austin situation that might come into play because we have some, uh, some lower-performing clubs that are out there that have valuations in the low 200s. So, you know, I, I think that that's got to be an interesting thought process as teams not just in Phoenix, not, not just us as Phoenix, but other other cities uh, with interested franchisees are going to be looked to looking to uh, an underperforming Dallas team or, or something like that uh, and, and maybe trying to move uh, move locations
3: you're, you're spot on Aaron I mean it, it's it's happened now it's happened within the league what's to keep it from happening again um, and I, I mean it's a fair point I, I personally think that That wouldn't happen in Phoenix I think we would strictly support our local team Um, but I mean it's not to say it's impossible
0: yeah but San Jose is
3: another team that jumps to mind that you know they they've been struggling as of late that uh you know they might see their team especially with Sacramento coming in that could be an interesting situation
0: but this is how we've had to operate in Phoenix because we're so disrespected by these leagues we had it we we bought the Winnipeg Jets, turned them into the Coyotes. Uh, the the Cardinals. Have you seen a Cardinal in Arizona before? No. <laughs> I mean, uh, we had we, we had to get the Cardinals. Uh, Diamondbacks. That was a different situation. Well, I mean, the uh, Bidwell
2: family moved the Cardinals here.
0: Well, yeah, because they saw posi- you know positive potential within the market, uh, but ultimately it was, it still took you know taking a team from a uh, a place where they have a low market value to a place where they have much better market potential, and uh, that is your message from the Blau Company CPAs. We do taxes, accounting, and consulting. All right, I guess I'm the money guy, so that's that's what I have to have to, you know, judge some things by here. But that that's the point of uh, of what i where I'm coming from
3: oh and it's I mean it's a great point because ultimately I mean when you look at these franchises there are businesses is is really what it boils down to is the dollars and cents of it so I mean it, it, there's great you know argument for that that it, in the future that that's absolutely could be the case and I mean it's it's a real bummer for Phoenix when you look at it that it, I mean uh, the price just keeps going up and up and up but uh it's I mean it's something that if if you want to play with the big boys you got to pay I guess.
2: And uh, this is why I think that I don't I don't think that the rise in the expansion fee is going to scare our ownership group off because Alex Zung is a billionaire already uh, because uh, Burke Bakai has a pretty substantial net worth already. Um, I don't know if he is a billionaire or if he's close to it, um, but we have we have the money to pay 225 250 million if that's what it takes for that expansion fee. Um, now you throw in the partnership with Galatasaray. And does that mean that other money could be coming from that partnership? Maybe that's an angle of the partnership we haven't explored yet, because obviously that's a very well valued club. That's one of the most valuable clubs in Europe. And maybe Burke is able to, uh, you know, convince a couple people there to uh, funnel or er, fund part of that expansion fee. Or uh, throw some money into our bid, um, and that could just that could just make us look that much better, or not in the eyes of Garber. I mean, at the end of the well, day. Well, but
0: ultimately, if MLS doesn't look at this tri club cooperation agreement that's going on between Phoenix Rising, and Galatasaray, and um, now uh, OCG Nice actually s- signed on to the, not an official agreement, but they're now in talks. To, to make this sort of like triangle of clubs um, on on different continents I mean we're making we're making moves that MLS never even dreamed of and we're we're thinking of we're already MLS 3.0 they just haven't realized it yet it's just crazy
3: oh absolutely so I, I think it's a great point by both of you and I this is one reason I think that I am confident in Phoenix and I think that you know MLS they can't Turn Phoenix down because, like you said, if they did, you know we're gonna we have this network that we could you know become our own powerhouse without them. Um, I think it, I think it's something that it, you know it's similar. It reminds me to the New York City, FC and Manchester City you know relationship that they have there, and it's it's something that I think MLS does like because it brings eyes, it brings dollars, and it can bring big names as well. So I think I think it's something MLS will absolutely be attracted with, and it, you know yeah, the Phoenix Rising ownership group will. Have have no problem paying whatever the expansion fee is, I'm sure um, and I think that they'll be one of the ownership groups like Dominic said, that won't be you know turned away by that and I'm sure there are other ones that they will you know see that it's going up to upwards of 200 million and, and they may reconsider their entire uh, bid for MLS.
2: And I mean, I mean I wonder too, how much of us not getting in? yet is garber having an ego versus um you know just the quality of the bid because yes these other bids have money but i feel like these other bids are more willing to cater to garber um they're you know in the case of nashville they're able to have it partially privately or uh, partially publicly funded um with cincinnati they're able to bend over backwards to make it happen um, whereas I feel like our, our ownership group, we want MLS, but there's also that we don't need you. We're going to be fine without you and we can do things anyways. And maybe that, maybe that upsets him. Maybe that, uh, you know, injures his fragile ego. I wonder if that, <laughs> I honestly wonder if that's a part of it.
3: No, I I think, I think it's a very fair question and it's, you know, it, it is something that I, I get a sense from this rising ownership group as well. I mean, it really does seem like we, we don't need them. We, you know, we've we've created all of this already on our own and, and all the relationships and everything that, you know, all the, bringing Drogba here. MLS didn't, they didn't do that. You know, I mean, it's it's a lot of these things that we've done ourselves. And, and that may scare, you know, MLS a little bit because I think they they may feel they can't control us as much as they have maybe some other clubs. And I think that uh, that's something that this ownership group probably wouldn't be as as kosher with either. So it'll be it'll be interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I just we have to get in, but are we going to get number thirty, or are we going to have to wait for thirty-two? You know, and how long is that wait going to take? These are all very relevant questions that you know fans want to know the answers to. The other MLS owners
3: want to know the answers to. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think there's just so much. I think I think there's a lot that rides on. I th- hell, I think even attendance at the semifinal for the Gold Cup in Phoenix on July 2nd could, could even weigh into it because we always talk about how attendance, you know, get, sways MLS, good and bad. So, I mean, it, there, there's so much, I think, behind this. But I, I really think for Phoenix, I mean, if we keep getting the results on and off the field – um, in relationships and, and wins and keep selling out week after week i mean there's there's no question I don't see another city without an MLS franchise that's doing what we're doing right now
0: and that was talking MLS <laughs> uh, and have... all the, and all the anger that comes with it yeah seriously
2: <laughs> uh, so sorry for having to do that but um, that's that's part of part of uh, why we're here, and it's definitely something that is relevant. Um, We put a poll up on it. Is this relevant? And the majority of people said, yes, this is at least somewhat relevant. So there you go. Um, I think that's all we got for this. Oh, we have supporter section questions, too. Yes. And we'll try to run through those fairly quick because it's already been a long episode. But this has been a busy supporter section. So let's get to it. The first one from Pat Moses essentially says, um, was the result yesterday more because of the team we were playing or because we really came together and we're hitting our stride? What say you?
0: Kyle, okay, go first. Uh,
3: I mean, it's little column A, little column B. It's a little bit of both, if if you really want to say. I mean, we we knew this team was just fragile, and if we were able to put in A couple goals really quick they'd keep coming and that's exactly what happened but I mean it also was a you know (laughs) to to quote him high schoolers a team of high schoolers I mean it's true it's very accurate it's a team that on paper we were just better than and we and we should have beaten them no matter what even if we had nine men and they had 11 we still should have beat them 4-0 so I mean it's you know it's one of those that it's almost you know a write-off we knew we were gonna win it but I think it's also a building block for this team. You know, our first huge multi-goal win. So, and at home at that. And uh, I think, I said it earlier, I just, I really think next week is going to be the measuring stick of where we're at. If if we're able to show something against Sacramento, then I think we're getting there and fighting our stride. Um, but it's, I think this is not a game that you can really read from.
2: Yeah, I, I would say... It's more the team we were playing against. I mean, it's a good win, but it's it's not, you know, of the same caliber as like a 4 0 against San Antonio or Colorado Springs last year, where those are really statement wins against decent opposition. I mean, this this Tacoma team is just straight up bad. Um, but you know, it's worth asking. That's that's an interesting point. Um, a really good question from Clay Munson at Clay knows at clay no s n u m Uh, how do they solidify the middle multiple times tacoma split the middle to earn a shot a better team would finish those absolutely agree on that last part how do we solidify the middle though
0: i think that 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 comes as a result of uh the lineup that we chose for for last night's match I think if Musa's in the match, I don't think that that happens. I think Musa and uh, Lambert have a little bit better chemistry than Lambert and Fernandez do. Um, <clears throat> I think Fernandez is a solid player, but Fernandez, I think, uh, ended up having to do more drop back, and I think that Kevon also just didn't didn't float around him properly. Uh, Joe Lowry uh, at Rising Tactics calls uh, calls what's been instituted a. a um, a dual pivot, I think, is what he calls it, uh, and I, I don't think that their, their communication was that solid. So they're really going to have to do a lot of that work workout to be able to figure out who's playing cover and who's playing uh, who's playing ball and who's playing cover. Uh, the 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 tactic behind it just needs a little bit more time. I think it's gonna sh- it's gonna come, uh, but with the speedy backs in Dia and uh, Dumbaya. Pressing out as wide as that they as they are, this continues to be a problem that we saw in preseason, and I, I just don't know when it's going to get fixed.
3: I mean, for me, it's just going to take a focus on it in training and in in matches. And well, they're not going to be able to switch off. Um, yeah, to go back to what you're saying, Aaron. Yeah, it seemed like it seemed like last night that Lambert was playing more of the ball. Well, kind of. And Fernandez was dropping back to where I personally think Fernandez is better when he's playing on the ball and Lambert is dropping back and providing cover for the back line. I think that role fits them much better. Musa also I think he's a great fit, but for me, I think we lack the offensive bite when we have both Lambert and Musa in there, at least this season so far. Last season there was great glimpses of it. But um I think it's just, I mean, it's taking time. It's solidifying the lineup itself. I mean, it, we, we need to have it, the consistent back line. I think everyone agrees it's the four that were out there last night, but it's getting them comfortable. It's getting the two guys in front of them comfortable, and it's, it's also the, the center attacking mid. I mean, we have yet to really lock down one of those players who's going to play through the middle, and that player will help his his central defense. And I think that once we get someone who's has that high work rate and is able to commit to both ends of the ball, I think that we see the middle of the field get locked up a little bit.
2: Yeah. So I think points, we'll really put good Yeah. We'll put Musa back in the starting 11, I would imagine for that Sacramento match and probably against OC as well. And that'll be, that'll be something that can definitely short things up. Um, and, you know, I think if Lambert, is more focused, then that also helps with us locking down the middle because we did a pretty good job controlling the middle against El Paso and, um, you know, for most of the match against Austin as well. So it certainly can be done. um, But, yeah, we just got to keep a better shape. Uh, Two questions that I think we can roll into one and then wrap this thing up. Um, This comes from Nick Tapia at Mex Chewy. Some shots on goal were off in trying to be too fancy instead of Killer Instinct taking a shot. And then Clay says, how do they improve shot conversion? Do we have someone that can consistently finish or are we
0: still missing that player? I think, I think ultimately what's going on is that we're still trying to find the square. Uh, is that, you know, for some of these players, uh, if you were to convert this over to more like a basketball analogy, they they're looking at that the hoop is just too big. Um we're getting we are getting dialed in and we can see that within with Jason Johnson's free kicks. Uh we are getting dialed in. We can see that with Devin Vega taking some shots across the midfield. Devin Vega is kind of that guy who just has brass balls. I mean, the guy will just take a shot from anywhere and and he wants to be taking taking those. So that could be that could be your guy although I don't see that see him getting to see the field night in and night out. Um, we're starting to see some some balls fall in from uh flemings i mean or continued i mean i think flemings is our leading goal scorer at this point um i think the biggest weakness that we have in relation to finishing relates to the left foot of one solomon asante uh we were able to see uh, jason johnson try to try to shoot off of a left foot on a on a close scoring chance we have not seen asante try to use his left foot on those close scoring chances once uh, so I I think if we can get Asante's left foot going uh and then everybody else can realize that the goal is just a little bit smaller than their brain is telling them it is that those balls are going to start moving to the back of the net.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about like not having a uh a, a quality goal scorer. Um I know that we've been close in several matches and just not found the back but yeah, I think it's more just a small sample size and I think things will normalize and you know, certainly yesterday we scored four, so um I don't think you can complain too much about that. And I think even in Wednesday's match, I mean unless we're going up against Restrepo, we probably score one or two there. So um yeah, I, I think they're fair points, but it's not what I'm most concerned about. What I'm most concerned about right now is you know how are opposing teams getting that space in the midfield, and how can we lock
3: that down? Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it, it's I mean it, there is times where it's it's frustrating because the ball seems to be keep going over. But I mean, it, these guys are also just trying to shoot the ball and hope that you know if if their shot's not on target, maybe it takes a deflection, maybe something happens, and, and the ball ends up in the back of the net. So I think there's a bit of hopefulness behind some of their shots as well but i mean it's it just it takes time and i mean we're getting the right guy scoring right now when you look at our our front line you know between Solomon Asante, Jason Johnson and Junior Flemings they, it, it's 4-3 three, and 3 for their goals 10 goals combined so i mean we are scoring goals especially up front where it matters most but uh, i mean i think i think it's more that we're getting so many opportunities and that only a few were falling in, whereas, you know, it'd be much more concerning if we were getting nothing and even missing then. So, uh, I, I think it's just, it'll come with time. And I think it's, as we talked about other teams, defenses and goalies have stepped up because when they're playing the Western conference champions, you know, you're going to get the best every night. So, uh, I think it's just been victims of our own success.
2: Yeah. And on that note, I think we can wrap things up. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts
3: before we, uh, we wrap this up because this has gone pretty long. Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, you know, ready for uh, for another week. It'll be on the road next week, and then, uh, you know, we'll get to paint Irvine red on Cinco de Mayo, so that'll be fun.
0: That is going to be a crazy time. I'm still trying to think if I'm going to make it if I'm going to drive out for that match or not.
2: Yeah, I think I'm leaning no because uh, I'll be moving, but. I'm
0: gonna make it out to that New Mexico one. That's for sure. And of course, we did. Oh, my final thought. We did miss something at the very beginning. A very hearty, hearty mazel tov to our, our own Dominic Kearns and his lovely new fiance. Brand new uh, fiance. Although, uh, you guys have been together for how long?
2: Uh, like almost a year and a half.
0: A year and a half, and Dominic is locking that up. So. <laughs> congratulations to you, Dom, and, uh, and, and your lovely fiance. She's quite wonderful that she puts up with you and uh, puts up with us as well.
3: Yeah, congrats. It's great. We're happy for the both of you.
2: Well, thank you. Um, after I wrap this up, I'm going to have to make some food for her, so that's part of how I do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, excellent, excellent, excellent. i got to go put groceries away, so, you know, we all sacrifice or we'll figure out how to how that, that's going to work. Kyle's going to feed his cats, so... I
3: I just have one. Don't make me seem like a crazy person, Aaron. Come on.
0: Uh, More more will come.
2: (laughs) All right, guys. Take care, and as always, go Rising. Go Rising. Go Rising.